0: Bobby, Bobby the Awesome here. We are doing a two for today. I'm pretty happy about this. Uh, <laughs> welcome, Cindy. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Yeah, this is so, so like your overarching topic. That is, if if I had a magnet to it, there's two things: um, female negotiation. I know how much I messed up through my career, and then. <laughs> Dealing with mental illness, because right now my brother just went into the hospital as of yesterday. Mm -hmm. So there's, I have both of those themes kind of running through my head. Um, So why don't we start with, you want to introduce yourself and tell us all the cool things that you do? (laughs) Sure, I'm happy to. Um, And yeah, I think it's going to be a really
1: interesting conversation because I've been a social justice attorney for over 30 years. So definitely representing the underdog, doing a lot of work fighting against discrimination. And that includes obviously discrimination on the basis of disabilities, including addictions. I've done a lot of advocacy work around mental health um, and addictions work as well. And I had my epiphany a number of years ago as well, realizing that You know, we have for so long been conditioned to define success based on a very competitive masculine model. I think that applies in law, in business, certainly in the corporate world, and rippling over into the way we conduct our lives. And I was guilty of that, to be honest, Bobby. And so, uh, you know, my clients called me the barracuda, which they meant as the highest compliment. And then I recognized that everything we've been taught about negotiation, which all of life is a negotiation is based on these same myths, that it's that winner-take-all, that toughness-carries-the-day approach. And I really dug in, and that's when I came to launch uh, my Art of Feminine Negotiation programs. And they're actually not gender-based. I think it applies equally. I like to close my eyes and imagine a world where both men and women stop seeing their so-called feminine as a liability but start recognizing it as their secret secret weapon and leaning into some of those traits. So that's a little bit about me. I've got a, I'm an author, my my book's a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller called The Art of Feminine Negotiation, How to Get What You Want from the Boardroom to the Bedroom. And my TEDx talk is on the rise of the feminine voice, again, not gender-based, but that same theme. So I'm a little passionate about this as you can probably gather.
0: <laughs> I love it. And there's, there's so much, and even just what your intro was that I want to, ping pong around. But I I just kind of want to say to the audience, my learning journey has taken me and some of this is personal, some of it's from coaches, but I've come to believe that we're all a little masculine and feminine and that where we are on the spectrum maybe contributes to our attributes or those kinds of things. And it sounds like maybe you're of that same belief Totally agree.
1: Yeah. And the only thing I would add to that is I think we all have masculine and feminine energy. And I think the reason that the world is so out of balance now, not to be too dramatic, but I think because of that deep conditioning that kept piling on, where we saw these so-called feminine traits like compassion and collaboration and more effective listening and empathy. We saw those as a weakness. Oh, people are going to get taken advantage of. And when you think you need to bring that chest beating energy, I think both men and women kept increasingly stifling their feminine, believing that the only path to success was to tap into our masculine. So 100% agree we have both. And I think people need to remind themselves that both are valuable.
0: (laughs) It's funny. You just had me flash back. So the masculine, I had a, I had a district manager once upon a time and I would never got that Barracuda persona. If I got (laughs) frustrated and wasn't winning, I cried. I got, I got upset. And this own director said to me, um, he goes, he, like I was apologizing or whatever. And he's like, women, he goes, everybody gets mad. Women cry and men punch things. And I was like, Yeah, but I I never found my way. But the word I wrote down as you were talking about competitiveness and winner takes all. It's abundance now. I think that's the shift on the education, right? Is it doesn't have to be winner take all. Like, what is your experience with that? Why do you think that we don't need to be winner take all?
1: Yeah, and I love that you raised that abundance versus scarcity mindset, because I think that's a really big part of it. Um, you know, tied to that more masculine competitive energy, really behind that is this idea that everything in life is this finite pie. So we've got to fight to get our piece of it. And I think for women in particular, there were so few opportunities available. Sadly, we didn't support each other for, you know, in many ways, we felt like we had to compete to get that limited piece of the pie, and I think when you're able to approach life from a more abundant mindset, you recognize that there are greater opportunities. So if you take that for negotiation, for example, if I come thinking, I want X and you want Y, and we believe we're fighting over that, then there's not a lot of room. Either I get X or you get Y, or we maybe split the baby. But if you come with an abundance mindset, truly seeking to understand the other person's perspective, then you're often able to come up with solutions that neither party thought of, but that are actually better for both of us. So I'm a big believer if we can get out of that scarcity mindset, out of that competitive mindset, allow ourselves to be a little bit more vulnerable and open and transparent, there are there is a whole world of creative options that will actually be better for everybody in those individual negotiations
0: and I think in the broader scheme too. I love it. I think you just described win-win that's yeah. what it, that's what it feels like in, in the bottle in the model that i see from from entrepreneurship. Yeah. So how does the art of female negotiation apply in everyday life?
1: Uh it's a great question and i think it's one of the things that surprises my clients the most cuz it's probably not a surprise most clients come to me for the business, right? Or they want more money, they want better positions, they want to be able to, you know, go higher up the the ladder. All of which we do, but I think the thing that most surprises them is that I'm not just paying lip service when I say all of life is a negotiation. And I think they get as much, if not more, value out of the impact on their personal relationships. So I always say, Bobby, like whether you are negotiating with your kids, with your intimate partner, with service providers, with banks, with insurance companies, or, you know, corporate deals or multi million dollar deals with your friend. All of it is a form of negotiation. All of those communications are about persuading and influencing and establishing that relationship. Even negotiating ourselves, we have to negotiate our own mindset every day before anything else. Probably their first and most important negotiation is the one we have with ourselves, being able to really take control over the stories that we're telling ourselves to push past some of those limiting beliefs and
0: blocks that hold us back. Wow. Wow. Again, my head is, is racing because there's, <laughs> there's so much good stuff in what you just said. So when you talk about, so again, I, I kind of am just showing up as my interpretation of what you just said or the examples that are yeah. popping into my head. So with family, is it something as simple as negotiating over where to go for dinner? Like if, if I want Thai and you want, Italian, the negotiation (laughs) might be either we go this one on Tuesday and this one on Thursday, or is it that kind of negotiating? Absolutely. I mean, some of them are are like that more obvious in terms of, you know, what movie are we going
1: to watch together or, uh, you know, where are we going to go on vacation? I mean, all of those are a form of negotiation, but it's also negotiating our relationships, how we interact and, to jump right in on the sort of addictions, mental health piece, I'm, I'm happy to get very vulnerable with, the, with your audience here today and share a story about, uh, with my son. You know, we, we started late and made up for lost time. I had three kids in three years and, um, and my, yeah, it was a it was a big shock. Um, and my middle guy, um, ended up getting diagnosed with a very serious mental health issue at the outset of COVID and there were some addictions issues and he was hospitalized and, Oh my gosh, it turned our world upside down, right? As you can imagine. And, um, and he was angry, right? So every time, and it was a long drive and I was having to drive every day to get to the hospital. It's the beginning of COVID. So first I'm having to negotiate. To get access. I mean, there was no visitation, right? So negotiating mm-hmm. to get access and using every little piece I got to leverage to get a little more and then using that to leverage to get a little more. Notwithstanding the rules were no visitation. And then I was able to get, okay, visitation for one person for an hour and leverage that to get two people for an hour and then two people for months. So it's constantly not taking no for an answer and being able to bring that skill set to negotiate for more, negotiating for resources. But the most profound for me, to go to your question about family, was my, I was banging heads with my son because he was angry and he was blaming. And I, of course, was being defensive because I wanted him to know this was out of love. So I'm coming at it all from my perspective. And after the second visit like that, where we were banging heads and things were going sideways. I suddenly thought, oh my gosh, I'm not practicing what I preach and what I teach. I'm not using my own art of feminine negotiation models here. And so one of the key models of that I'll, I'll share with your listeners, I call it the no fear model. So it's F-E-A-R. And every time you're going to have a negotiation, just check in with what are my fears? What are the other party's fears? Because well, what? how does the ego show up for me? And how can I make this keep ego out of it? How does ego show up for the other party? attachment. What things am I going to be too attached to here? And how can I get a little more flexible? What are the things the other party is going to be too attached to? And how can I use that to come up with better options? And the R is reactivity. What are the triggers that I know set me off? And how can I deal with that? So in this situation with my son, um, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm making all of the cardinal sins here, right? So I allowed my fear about, you know, my expectations for him, what this meant for us, what this meant for him, ever, all of my hopes and dreams as a mother, all of the fears that I brought to the table, and my ego, I was making it about me. I didn't want him to blame me. I wanted to justify why I was doing it. I was attached to what my vision of his life had been without allowing a possibility for different possible future we were facing, and it was hitting all my triggers, right? So I was being super reactive. And then I flipped the script and thought, oh, my gosh, I cannot imagine the fear he must be feeling right now. He's lost control of his life, his ability to make decisions for himself. He's locked in a facility that he can't get out of if he wanted to walk out the door. His ego must be shattered in a million pieces on the floor. He's got to be attached to wanting his old life as well and being able to to control it and reactivity. So, I showed up at the next one, I went through some of my checklist. And then the next visit, I showed up and I said, I just really want to apologize. I am so sorry. I have totally been making this about me. I can't imagine what this has been like for you. So I want to hear, tell me about your experience. What can I do? What do you need right now? And at first he pushed back, of course, right? Because he didn't trust it yet, because that's not how I'd been showing up. But when I just stuck in that place and was able to park my ego and get curious and keep asking questions and make the focus about him and his needs, I actually saw a physical softening. His whole body started to relax and shift and it totally opened the space for us to be able to heal and to work together and make some progress. So that was a massive shift and that's most people wouldn't call that a negotiation. That was totally a negotiation about our relationship, how we were going to show up together and how we were going to tackle this. So I hope that helps with some context.
0: It does help. And one of the things that I personally am running into is because I'm trying listening, I'm trying curiosity, like yeah. I'm trying some, some tools. Yeah. Um, But with mental illness, yeah. there's delusion or could be yeah. delusion yeah. or beliefs, or the brain is racing so fast, they can't even collect the thought of what you're trying to say. Absolutely. Um, I know that that's what I'm struggling with. Do you have any advice on that?
1: Yeah. And that's a, it's a great question because we're not, and frankly, whether it's dealing with mental health, whether it's dealing with addictions, which brings its own um, set of problems because you're, you're facing the, that sort of chronic lying as well. And what do you believe or not? Um, But even in the corporate world, frankly, we're facing a lot of those same issues with people who we don't necessarily diagnose or recognize, but you've got that sort of bullying that shows up. So I think the one model, as I say, that no fear model really helps with that to start. Um, And the one thing I found with my son, for example it's allowed, it's leaving space, right? Because I find it does take a long time for him to focus and it takes a long time for him to get his thoughts together. And we're conditioned to rush in to fill those spaces, right? So then the conversations go Mm -hmm. sideways because they don't feel heard. So I have learned and it takes some training. I ask the question. He sometimes is looking off in space. It's not even a hundred percent clear if he's heard me or not yet, or if he's ignoring or responding. And I allow that space and grace and nine times out of 10, maybe nine and a half times out of 10, when I give that space, he'll come back and respond. Um, If he doesn't, then it's about circling back again. But it really is about tapping. When we get reactive, things are going to go sideways for sure. When we make it about our expectations only, things are likely to go sideways. So allowing the other person the sort of respect and dignity and the space and grace that they need um, can be a huge help. But you have to also leave blocks of time. There are times now when my son comes and I'm like, like just before this interview, you know, I, I was telling you before we started, my my word went crash today. I had submissions that were due and I, they disappeared. And I was like, I can't uh, have a meaningful discussion. I want you to have all of my attention and I can't do that right now. So let's do this right after and then I am yours. So I would say, check in with yourself, um, and the other model I would share with you, Bobby, is I call it the 5W model. Who, what, where, when, and why. So just really get intentional about when you're going to have one of those discussions and you anticipate it may be difficult, decide, who do I want to be? Right. Who do I want to show up as? Actually choose three words that describe who you want to be. Maybe it's calm, collected, grounded. There's no right or wrong answer, right? Maybe it want, maybe it's brave and powerful. It doesn't matter. So long as you are being intentional about who you want to be. And when you choose those three words, that way, if they show up unexpectedly and they're really being aggressive or bullying or in your face or dismissive, whatever it is, you can just take that breath and ground yourself again. So getting intentional. So who do you want to be? Who do they expect you to show up as? Can be really powerful if they're expecting you to be a little abrasive and you show up differently or whatever. Or if you're normally a pushover and you show up a little more assertively this time, can be a powerful shift. But who are they likely to show up as? Prepare all of the possible versions of them, right? Um, and we all have different versions of ourselves. But if you prepare psychologically in advance, for all of the different versions, you're not going to, you're way less likely to get reactive. And you can even think about if this, then that. So if they show up name calling, for example, here's how I'm going to handle that. I'm going to stop for a moment, ground myself and say, Hey, Tom, I know that treating people with dignity and respect is really important to you. And I'm not sure what's happening here, but I really feel like that's not our dynamic. So do we need to take a break and come back to this? Um, you know, I want you to be the best version of yourself. I know that's important to you as well. So what can we do to get things back on track? That's a very different conversation. than if you're like, you know, what the heck, this is a, you know, oh, you're going to name, call it me. And then we get reactive. So decide the who.
0: Before we continue, of, can I, answer, yeah. right? I have to ask this question. Um, if it's an active addiction, so let's say either substance, yeah. Let's say substance abuse, because I don't know, like the casino or gambling would have to be in the moment. But do instead of doing the who as are they under the influence or not? Do you think it's better to table the conversation until they're not under the influence? Like, do you think it's a great question? And I would say,
1: I mean, it depends, which seems like a dodge, but I typically in that case, and when I'm dealing, and we have a long history of addictions in our family. So I will tell you on on both sides of the family, sadly, so some with very devastating results, I remember even growing up, and some with very happy endings. Um, So I I'm speaking sort of from my experience here. But I typically try both in the moment. I will take a stab if I'm confident that I can show up or there's something that needs to be dealt with right now. I'll take a stab at it with intention about who I want to show up with, etc. But I recognize as part of that prep in advance, this may go sideways really quickly. They may not remember any of this conversation. This may have zero impact and I need to be okay with that. So I will normally test the waters. And if it's clear that this is completely unproductive, then I will table it, but make it clear that let's pick this up another time when this can be a little bit more productive. Um, and then you do what you need. And sometimes you need to take some more drastic action in the circumstances, and that can be challenging. But I would always try to take that high road approach first, see if I can get any traction knowing as i say it may have no impact and may be completely not in their memory banks but at least make that effort knowing that there's a high probability that i may have to table the conversation perfect okay back to the w's <laughs> okay so that was and feel free to interrupt because i just you know i sort of live and breathe this stuff so the the who piece i think is one of the most important The what seems really obvious to everybody, but I think most people when they think, okay, I know what I want out of the negotiation, they're only thinking about that substantive thing, right? Like, here's that thing that I want out of this particular negotiation, right? And most people forget that there are two two other kinds of outcomes you want to be thinking about, sort of what are the process outcomes? Sometimes you can negotiate a process that's more valuable than the what. So professionally, for example, if you're for your entrepreneurs out there, if you're talking about sales, sometimes it's better to negotiate a process for how you're going to price things going forward that will totally benefit you down the road. but means you're taking a hit at the front end. And people get so stuck on the what that they forget that they might be able to negotiate a long-term process that is going to get them exponentially more. But also in our personal relationships, the same thing, right? You want to be thinking about that process. Maybe there's a system if you're dealing with that, you know, spouse or partner or um, child or sibling or parent or whatever, who's got addictions issues, negotiating a process for how you're going to deal with things in future, like when they are not under the influence all right, how would you like, how should we handle these situations when they come up? What are the things that, would? so think about the process outcome you want as well as the substantive. And the one people most often forget is the relationship. Be intentional. What outcome do I want for this relationship? Because sometimes the what that you're fighting about is not worth sacrificing the relationship for, um, or vice versa, that, you know, we're so protect, it's, it's about making those decisions intentionally. So who, what, the where, right? In real estate, they say location, location, location. In books, setting is really important. You know, authors spend it. And it's true in life. Like, we tend to wait and wait. And then we just, you know, end up blurting out and having the conversation in the moment without a lot of forethought. And sometimes that's unavoidable. So I'm not naive about that. But to the extent that you can, Decide where you want to have the conversation. What's going to be most comfortable? What's going to be the best atmosphere, right? And this applies in business and personally, right? Personally, some conversations you want to take place in the bedroom, some absolutely not, you know? Some conversations are better on vacation, at work. Some are water cooler conversations. Some are better over a brunch or a lunch or on the golf course, whatever. So be intentional about your where and same with the when. As kids, we knew intuitively timing mattered, right? Don't ask your parents for something you want if they're in a pissy mood. And then we forget that as adults. So be strategic (laughs) about your when and the last W is why. What's the deep why? It's almost never, even when we're talking money, everybody's like, well, it's just about money, Cindy. I'm like, it's never just about the money. It's about what that money represents for you. It's about what this issue that we're negotiating about represents for each of us. What we say we want is like the tip of the iceberg. And it's like, you're, you're going to be hitting, you know, that you're going to be the Titanic hitting that if you don't be open to recognizing that most of it is underwater. So what is that deep driving why for all of us?
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I'm struggling, I'm listening to you and I'm being present, but I am struggling because I can picture how all this applies in different situations. Yeah. Um, so thank you. It's really striking a chord with me, um, especially with what you know what's going on at the house at the moment. Yeah. Um, uh, but but thinking of all these different situations as gam so I asked you about substance abuse, but in gambling, yeah, the the person under the influence, so to speak, even though they're not in front of a slot machine or poker table or even yeah. their phone or whatever the thing is they aren't necessarily present, right? Yeah. Like when the conversation's happening. So you bring up yeah. a lot of key points to help someone navigate uh, the attention. And I think that with the active li- listening and the end goal of, of win-win, if if I've just yeah. tied together things that you've shared so That's far, beautiful. am I on
1: the right path? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And also I would say tied to that though, I don't want to leave people with the impression that, because I think a lot of times we're like, oh, I'm not able to get through to them. So it's a failure on me, right? I'm not being an effective communicator or negotiator or partner or parent or whatever it is. So also recognize a big part of the process is as we talked about negotiating our own mindset, but also negotiating our own boundaries. And especially when we're dealing with addictions issues, it is absolutely critical that we know what our boundaries are, both for us frankly, and for the other person. So we don't end up in these codependent, really destructive relationships where we end up further enabling. So be really clear that no, yes, by all means, you are going to have better outcomes if you get more intentional about those five Ws, if you get more intentional about that no fear model, if you bring the sort of six key skill sets to table, what I call my fit model. And also know though, there are times when you need to just put a hard boundary around things. And maybe that means that the person you care about has to fall really flat on their face. Maybe that means they end up being hospitalized or um, in a rehab facility and or getting some treatment and or out of the ha- whatever it is, however that shows up, you set the boundaries so that you are able to set up a situation going forward where you can have healthy communications. Because if you're with somebody who's not making any of those shifts, you can be the most effective negotiator in the world. You can be as intentional as you want, and you may not be able to have the impact that you're hoping for. So, But I have found that when you apply these consistently, you have dramatically increased your odds of getting them to start
0: to make some of the movements that you need. And it takes time. It's a process. I'm sure it does. Okay. So we covered personal. Uh, now in professional, this, this question just showed up for me. Yeah, <laughs> I've become, I, I was never polished, but at business, I would stick to business up until my most recent position. I got a little bit more I'll call it woo woo. I think that everybody (laughs) understands the implication, right? So like the last big project I was on, I literally told my team, give people grace and compassion, our boss, ourselves, you know, it's going to be a challenge. How do women people take what we're talking about here and still have the business acumen tied to it if they are still in that kind of environment? Yeah. No, I love that. And and again, because I think most people hear this and go, okay, well, that
1: sounds great. And that's woo-woo, as you say, but I'm going to get eaten alive in the corporate world. I'm going to be taken advantage of. And I believe that myself, you know, when I started, I I said about being known as the Barracuda, that wasn't natural to me. But when I started to practice the law, I'm 20 something years old, fresh face out of law school. I'm almost always for the first many
0: years, the Hold it. Hold it. I want to be it. taken. Okay. It went silent for a minute. So if you can start that sentence uh, over.
1: You bet. When I started the practice of law, fresh out of law school, you know, I'm this fresh faced 20 something year old showing up almost always the only woman in the room. And, uh, I looked around and thought, "Geesh, if I'm going to be taken seriously, I need to get scrappier. And I did. And I think that's why so many women end up overcome, because a lot of people go, oh, you're talking about these feminine and masculine. Most women I know are worse in the business world. I, I think it's because we bring that overcompensating energy, believing that's the only way to succeed. So, and interestingly though, now the science is catching up. I mean, I've been preaching this for some time, but I mean, Google's done studies, MIT have done studies. There's all kinds of scientific research to show that when you actually bring rapport building, and empathy to the table, when you allow yourself to stay flexible, when you trust your intuition, when you get intentional about building trust, all five of those traits are critical, I think, to negotiation and to leadership. And all five of those are traits people would consider to be feminine traits. They are critical skills. The sixth of the six key skills is assertiveness. That's the one out of the six that most people say, well, that's masculine. But I actually even think for that, Bobby, people mistake and confuse assertive with aggressive. They're not the same thing. Assertiveness actually just means showing up from a place of confidence. Confidence comes from knowledge and knowledge comes from prep. So my big thing now, I tell people, men and women in the business world, and I do corporate presentations on this. Encourage your people to lean into the feminine, right? Lean into the emotional resonance. Really make people feel valued and respected. Listen more than we talk. Make sure that people are being fully heard, you know, speak to the ears that hear us in the hearts. And incredibly, productivity increases, um, buy-in increases. And COVID, I think, was a positive shift from that perspective for two reasons. People were like, whoa. This competitive model, the way I've been living, I want to reevaluate how I'm living my life. So a lot of people wanted to show up differently, but also a lot of people said, oh, look at the countries that had female leaders. They did way better during COVID than other countries,
0: which. Oh, you went silent again. That's weird. What's that? You said the female leaders, for whatever reason, you'll be mid-sentence and it'll just go silent for a minute.
1: That is so weird. I don't know what's happening. Let me just check my connection here. So, all right. Yeah, because it's a beautiful day. It's not like there's any weather. Yeah, same here. If I put my hands up, that's what that means. (laughs) Okay. All right. I will watch for that. So I'll just go back to that then. Um, You know, during COVID, people talked about the fact that countries that had female leaders actually fared better during COVID. And I do not get into the argument about whether that's true or not, because I don't think that's as important as the fact that at the very least, the value of feminine stock went up. People are now recognizing these so-called feminine traits as key traits for leadership. So to circle back to your question, for women or men, frankly, in business, I think If you're going to stick to those old competitive models, your business is going to go the way of the dodo bird. We are in a different world now post-COVID. People want to have more harmony in their life. People want to be valued and recognized. That's why we saw that great um, resignation, as they called it, after COVID. So I think progressive employers are employers who are going to encourage their people to lean into those so-called feminine traits, value collaboration over competition within the workplace, be more transparent in the salary discussions, frankly, teach your people how to negotiate better salaries so that they'll know what they need to do. It's a win-win situation. So I uh, loved your question.
0: Well, you just brought up something I was going to do okay. as our next topic, but I, I just want to call out um, two things. One, I was the same way. like I did not exhibit empathy at all with my team members until yeah. my... I. I attribute it to my recovery journey. And I'm sure talking to so many experts like yourself about these different topics to make me a better human being. Um, And then this Barracuda, I wrote it down a few times. When you show up, did you call it combative? Yeah, well, combative for sure, but more
1: that competitive model, right? I'm not leaving anything on the table.
0: Does that mean that we're like in fight or flight? Like we're already releasing the stress hormones going into every situation, which means we're not going to show up any better because we're in stress mode and we're being hormonal, literally, but not even the women hormones, the everybody hormones. Okay. I love that. I love that. And not only for
1: ourselves, we release that sort of that cortisol, that stress response for ourselves. And we cause it in the other person, which is why those conversations rarely get best outcomes. Yeah.
0: And then this wage thing, we have to talk about this for a second. (laughs) So this was, I was going to ask you through the lens. My niece was working at um, a company and she was doing above and beyond. And one of their, uh, and I'm not against this. Concept of you can give an employee more responsibility before they get promoted, before they get mm-hmm. titled, before they get money. Cause it's kind of like an earning and it shows mm-hmm. kind of separates and, you know, gives them a little experience and stuff. But she was in a situation both with interviewing and then inside her current environment. And I said, Well, if you're going to be like this lead, you should ask for more money. Oh, they won't do that. Oh, they yeah. won't do that. <laughs> And I'm like, well, how do you know if you didn't ask? Oh, I just know. So-and-so's yeah, okay. been there such-and-such such time, blah, blah, blah. Um, So how does someone, it, it's funny, unless a man, I, I, I was close enough with a couple very high executives, VPs, um, that yeah. kind of stuff that told me about the things that were built into their contracts. Otherwise yeah. I wouldn't even know what we were fighting for.
1: And that's <laughs> exactly. part, that
0: seems to be part of the problem is there's this yeah. ignorance. We don't know their stock options and fuel cards and uh, you know, all of this residual. So how do, how does, that look like, can we talk yeah. about wages and contracts and that kind of stuff? Oh, it's such an important
1: area for so many reasons. Because when you said about your niece, for example, oh, they won't do that, <clears throat> studies have shown a couple of things. One, women who have <clears throat> like 80% of the qualifications for a job are less likely to apply for that job than a male with like 20% of the qualifications. It is like a staggering difference. And women, men who are presented with a first offer for a salary, Sixty-seven percent of men will ask for more money compared to only seven percent of women. So there is this huge huge cat there. So I mean, ask is the first thing. Then ask, 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 right? Establish your value, get over all of that conditioning as you know that we have as women that we're not enough, that we need to play small, we need to not be seen to be too greedy, we need to play nice. So definitely ask. And that's been borne out. A lot of the corporations where they had um, real discrepancy between what their males were working and their females, when they were questioned about it, they're like, they didn't ask and they did. So it's literally can be that simple. But also I would say for your niece and all, all of your listeners out there, get more strategic about your, neg- and I'm actually really on a campaign to get employers to be more transparent. Cause most employers are like, if they don't come and ask for it, we're holding our cards close to our chest. I think it's better when the process is more transparent. So I always tell people do your brag list. All right. So set down all of the the qualities that you bring to the table, right? Your past accomplishments, your present accomplishments. So I say do past, present, and future what are some future things that you plan to bring to the organization? Uh Any commendations that you've ever received money that you say, so some concrete, but some of those intangibles, I'm a great team player. Customers love me. We have better morale. I'm able to boost that morale. So think about the tangibles and the intangibles make your list, but ultimately remember going in and just saying, I can do this and I do this and I have those qualifications. Most companies don't actually care unless you can tie that to what it means for them. So figure out where they want to go and say, here's what I've brought and here's what I plan to add to the team. Here's, and get curious, ask questions. What are your expectations of me? What would it take for me to get up to this level, etc? What are some of the possible perks that are available now? You know, vacation time is important to me. Uh, what are stock options that are available? Uh, what training opportunities are available? What are, can we look at my title? So I have a title that carries more authority that'll be better for me long term, etc. So, Thinking outside the box, getting real clarity about what you want, and then come and sell it using we language. Don't just say, I want or you want. Don't ever make it an us or them. Just say, I'm really excited to be a part of this team. Here's what I think we can do together. I'm really excited about us with this particular project. Here's where I'd like some areas that I think that we can do this. And the results, financial increase in what you're able to get in your negotiations when you
0: come with that approach. Yeah. I love that. I recently, um, was in a, in a work relationship where maybe I didn't do it right and tried the we, um, but I couldn't get around the top down mindset, you know? And, and if they, if they're not collaborators on the other side and maybe I'm just not seasoned enough, in, in trying this different language and these different approaches. And sometimes I'm just a little too direct, quite honestly. So, <laughs> um, I recognize that I, I do like the transparency piece though, like, especially yeah. when it comes to salary, um, yeah. something I tried as kind of, cause I believe in what you just said. And, and I'd love your thoughts on this. If I was barking up the wrong tree or the right tree, but everybody's a new hire If you had experience in the position, you've done it before, or, or you have those kinds of skills, you got 50 cents more than Mm -hmm. the one who has no experience so that you acknowledge it. If you've invested in it, meaning you've paid for school or outside education Mm or, or things you got even another 50 cents more and saying that in front of everybody at orientation, this is why you're getting Mm -hmm. paid. what you're getting paid. Do you think that that's, um an approach that can actually be adopted? Do you think I did that right or wrong? Well, I know there's no right or wrong, but feedback. Yeah, on No, oh. I,
1: I love the idea of the transparency where people are like, you know, here's the criteria by which we're judging. Having said that, I think it's really important to have the flexibility and somebody who's effective. So I'd say for your listeners who are looking to bargain for themselves and also for people on the other side, be more open to this. Somebody who's really effective is going to be able to say, I understand that you get X amount more if you have a formal education, but I'd like you to just consider that. I don't have this particular degree, but I come with this range of experience. And here's how that's actually benefited this organization and or past organizations. Here's how it can benefit going forward. That's worth infinitely more than if I had X degree. So having that flexibility as an employer to recognize that, but as an employee, just because the employer says, here's our criteria, boom, 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 still go in there and ask, do your preparation, find out. What are other people in the industry making? What are the competitors paying for comparable positions? What are other people in your own organization getting? What even within your geographical area and even broader? So... You've done the homework and you know, and I remember even as a young lawyer having this where then my employer was trying to lowball me and I'd done my homework. And I'm like, well, that's interesting because I know so-and-so over at your competitor firm is making X this year. Are you suggesting I'm not as valuable to this organization as he is to theirs? Because I would find that really surprising because I brought this, well, he sputtered and stuttered and didn't know what to say. And I walked out of there with a big honking raise because he was so embarrassed and mortified. So if you do your prep, And also know what your BATNA is. That's a a short, an acronym for best alternative to a negotiated agreement. If you know that you could walk out tomorrow and get 10 other jobs at more pay, that gives you a lot of leverage. So definitely know what the alternatives are out in the workforce. And don't be afraid to apply a little bit of pressure. Not in a way so the employer feels you're not loyal, but just letting them know, I know that X, Y, Z are paying this. I'm not out looking for another job because I am loyal here. Here's where I see our contribution. Here's where I see our growth areas. And really, when you play it that way, you're much more like, even if you don't get the raise in that moment, you're setting yourself up already for the next one. You're making it very clear that you want to be fast-tracked, that you are on the path to greater success and positions. And whenever, and I would say this for any negotiation, one of my favorite questions if you don't get what you want, so whether it's asking for somebody to give you a referral or whatever, just go, I'm just curious, what would it have taken to make that a yes for you? That is one of the most valuable questions because, and especially in a salary negotiation with an employer, you know, I'm just curious, what what would it take to make this a yes for you so we can position ourselves. Then it forces them, as you had said, to give that criteria, objective criteria that you can then pad yourself to fit for your next conversation with
0: them. Oh, I love it. I love it. So Miss Cindy, what else um, would you like to share with either or audience? I feel like I neglected maybe the entrepreneurs a little bit. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of some good examples where this may come into effect. And what I thought was more partnerships with other entrepreneurs, like there's affiliate marketing, there's all these different ways that we're doing business. Together. Any thoughts on that?
1: Absolutely. And I'd say for our entrepreneurs, I often like to share personal examples as I've done here because I think those personal stories, people remember them ease more easily. Having said that, everything we've talked about here today applies equally, if not uh more so in your professional life. So that 5W model, every negotiation that you're coming to as an entrepreneur. Just, and it sounds like a lot, but when you get used to it, this is literally just takes a couple of minutes. It's like a checklist in your mind. Go through that who, what, where, when, why. You know, where do you want to have that next meeting with your prospective big sales client or potential affiliate or partner? Go through that no fear model as a checklist as well. It is shocking. Often in the entrepreneurial world, you'll be dealing with people who maybe are going to be a little bit bullying most of that kind of behavior comes from a place of fear so when you do that checklist these are really valuable models and the last one i would share i call it the r fit model and we talked about that that's that assertiveness rapport building empathy flexibility intuition and trust so as an entrepreneur in your professional life and in your personal life when you bring those skills to the table you're going to get better and when you think about it when you're doing sales as an entrepreneur Really, it's just the fit model being applied. You're thinking, okay, I need to build connection and rapport with this person. The empathy shows up because you want to find out what do they need, what do they want, so then you can model it back and say, well, this is great because we actually offer XYZ, which I think would perfectly suit the problems that you're struggling with right now. So building that rapport and connection, bringing that empathy to the table so you know what they need so you can make that sale, being flexible that as they're telling you what their needs are, it may not be what you thought, and how can you meet those needs and use that for your sales pitch. Trusting your intuition, knowing when to lean in, when to go back, and the final, the T, Is that trust building? What are some things you can do in that sales conversation to build trust with them? Is it about testimonials, prior client experiences, anything and everything, sharing some personal stories? And then you come back to the A of the RFIT model. So assertiveness, rapport, building empathy, flexibility, intuition, and trust. And that's where you close the sale. So these models definitely apply professionally and personally across the board and all the spaces in between.
0: Love it. Cindy, is there anything I forgot to dive into that you may want to share? Um. Um, I would say just, um, we've covered
1: so much. I think this has been fantastic. So I would say, recognize that all of life is a negotiation. Get really intentional about how you can up level your negotiation skills to get more of what you want and deserve in life and get those better outcomes. Um, you know, I've got all loads of free resources. I'm happy to share some of that as we are signing off here today, but also look at there's all kinds of resources available today, but mostly it all starts with your mindset. So I would say before you worry about all of these tactics and strategies and skills every day when you wake up, just Push past one limiting belief that's been holding you back. Recognize one area where you're blocked. Maybe it's, and for your entrepreneurs, for a lot of people, it's baggage around money. Really address your money issues. I had that for ages. I was undercharging in my law practice for a long time. And finally I'm like, I think I'm, I think I'm attracting more people by being reasonable, but I'm actually undercutting my credibility because I'm now showing up as the Walmart of our legal industry. So really recognize your own baggage around some of these issues. And be intentional about showing up as the most empowered possible version of yourself and invite other people to be the best version of themselves, especially when they're not showing up that way. It, it can be a powerful shift.
0: Oh, wow. Thank you. I love that. So where can people find you? Where can they find the book? And for my guys out there, uh, just because this says female in it, don't not read it. And honestly, I have a feeling that there's probably still a lot of uh men that probably wouldn't. So if you do, you're going to have the edge, right? Like they're going to know you're going they're going to know the Cindy secrets. <laughs> I love it.
1: And it's funny cuz I hesitated over using the term feminine in the title for exactly that reason. That both men and women go, "Oh gosh, I don't want that." But I thought, "You know what? For too long we've been seeing the feminine as a liability. I want to call it out so we can raise awareness about it." So if people are interested in checking me out, you can check out my website at theartoffeminine negotiation.com. And definitely feel free. A great starting resource is the book. It's called The Art of Feminine Negotiation. How to Get What You... Hold on, hold on.
0: All right. It did it again. The Art of Feminine Negotiation from the Boardroom to the Bedroom. Did I get that right? How to Get What You Want from the Boardroom to the Bedroom. Perfect. Okay. Yeah
1: and i'm happy to offer a resource normally it just comes with the purchase of the book but i'll give the secret inside scoop for your listeners as well uh-huh. if they go to artoffemininenegotiationbook.com it will allow you access to a full workbook as well as some other resources that will help kickstart and even if you don't have the book it still will be sort of a valuable introspection and give you some tips and tools that's going to kickstart you on your journey to elevate. And at that website that I've said as well for art of feminine negotiation, I do weekly blogs, weekly podcasts. All of those are available free, tons of free eBooks on there as well. The five W we talked about free ebook.
0: You can grab there if you want on that Wow! Um, so loads of resources. Very generous. Thank you so much, Cindy. Thank you for your time and your wisdom and a, a wonderful conversation. This was very illuminating and fun. Oh, and
1: thank you, and thank you so much for the work that you do. Such important issues out there. So, thank you for all your advocacy.